Welcome to Good Christophian Talks. I'm Levi. And I'm Chris. And I'm Brian. Thank you for joining us this week. On this podcast, we select one talk a week to help us get the Bible in our daily news feed. We post a new episode at the start of each week with a short intro beforehand to kind of set the stage for the talk you're about to listen to. And now, let's talk more about this week's talk. Hello and welcome back to another talk. This past week, uh, Brother Tom Graham from the Thousand Oaks Ecclesia fell asleep in Christ. Brother Tom had been a member of several Southern California Ecclesias over the years, but what many of you listening may know him for, especially those of us in North America uh, that know him and his wife, Nini, for, was their tireless work in distributing books to Christadelphians throughout North America. Uh, he maintained a library of books, and if you needed any particular Christadelphian book, he was your go-to person throughout most of North America to get a copy of that book. Beyond his love of books and sharing them with everyone who needed them, Brother Tom loved prophecy and current events. He would give a weekly current events class at his Ecclesia in Thousand Oaks every Sunday. Uh, he gave one even the Sunday prior to when he fell asleep. Because of his love of prophecy and the hope and the vision that he had of the kingdom, it felt appropriate to share this exhortation by Brother Tom, uh, the last one that he gave back in August of 2021, where you could feel the passion and eagerness that he felt for the coming kingdom. That passion and vision of the kingdom reminds us all of the joy that awaits us when Jesus returns and was a driving force in Tom's life. We hope that this exhortation will ignite a spark in you that will burn just as brightly as the one that did in Brother Tom, and pray that his sleep will be short. Uh, it over now to Brother Tom for his exhortation on the hope of the kingdom. Good morning once again, my dear brethren and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to realize what a privilege it is to be called the brethren and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ. That really puts us in a category when we think about it of no equal. No equal on this earth. It never has been an equal on this earth to be amongst the brotherhood of Christ. Brethren and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many, many so-called brotherhoods in the world around us today, aren't there? Um, like those of the labor unions, they call themselves the brotherhood. And social organizations call themselves a brotherhood. But none of these hold a candle to the brotherhood of Christ. What a privilege, brothers and sisters. The part of a brotherhood that will rule the world throughout eternity with the kingdom of God. We dare not take this association that we have with the multitudinous Christ for granted. Hopefully, those in this room and in our brotherhood will be those that we will live together with for forever, throughout eternity. 
You're going to get used to each other, huh? This is it. What a glorious prospect, brothers and sisters. It's coming soon. And it's just what is coming soon that we want to take a look at this morning. Proverbs 29, Solomon says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Solomon is giving his advice here, well for us to heed. The word in the Hebrew here for perish actually can be translated unrestrained. The idea of the proverb is that without any vision, the plan and purpose of God, mankind would just go on unrestrained, following the ways of the flesh. So if he has a vision of that plan of God and encourages it encourages us all to keep that law, to keep that vision, to keep those commandments. And he goes on and says, happy is he, or as the word in the Hebrew often is translated, blessed is he that keeps this vision. And this is what we want to take a look at this morning, brothers and sisters, our vision of the kingdom of God. To uh, begin with our, our First portion of reading Kings 10 has taken us to uh, uh, the story of Solomon and his temple. This is in a way kind of a sequel to what Brother Jimmy brought forth to us last Sunday as we talked about Solomon's kingdom being a type of the kingdom of God on earth when Christ returns. We see that the Queen of Sheba visits Solomon here in this 10th chapter. And note her remarks as we start in verse 4. Here, here's what she says, Brother Caleb read for us this morning. And when the Queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom in the house he had built, and the meat of his table, and the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel, his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, it was true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and thy wisdom. Now, be it I believe not the words until I came and with mine eyes seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. The wisdom and prosperity, thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee that hear thy wisdom. She took a look at Solomon's kingdom and was speechless. She had come into a land that she had frequented before. It was all new to her. She says, wow, this is quite a place. You've got quite a thing going here, Solomon. In a way, this reminds us of Paul's words, doesn't it? In the Corinthians, where he says in 2 Corinthians, but as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for those that love him. And I think this will be our similar response too. When we get to the kingdom, when we witness the things of the kingdom for the first time, 
just as Paul, when he was caught up into the third heaven, he says how that he was caught up into a paradise, heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. He could not put into words those things that he witnessed as he saw a glimpse of that kingdom to come. Now this view of Solomon's kingdom, which existed literally about 3,000 years ago, was a remarkable experience, experience for someone who had lived at that time, as we see the remarks from the Queen of Sheba. But what we need to understand is that this kingdom described here is in fact a, really a type of the kingdom of God that will be set up by the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns and reigns for a thousand years. This is a biblical glimpse of partly of what our vision of the future kingdom of God can be like. Starting in verse 1 of 1 Kings 10, we notice that Solomon, who is the type of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, in this mini parable is visited by the Queen of Sheba. Sheba, we learn from our biblical studies, is an ancient country, which is where Saudi Arabia and the other modern Arab nations are this day. Note in Psalms uh, 72, verse 10, it says, The kings of Tarshish and the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. And this is what she did in the time of Solomon. She gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices, a very great store, precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as these, which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So our vision of the kingdom begins with the modern Arabs bringing gifts to the king, to Solomon here some 3,000 years ago, and to the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns and sets up the kingdom. Another good prediction of this event is found in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6. It says, The multitudes of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. They, are, they, are from Sheba, they from Sheba shall come, shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of Yahweh. Not only this point forward, of course, to the modern Arabs recognizing the Lord Jesus Christ in the kingdom age, but also shows the acceptance of the Arabs to the rulership of the Lord Jesus Christ as he begins to rule over the entire earth. I, I think we'll be amazed at that time, brothers and sisters, when we look at the wonders and the beauties of the kingdom we hope to inherit and remember all the little things that were prophesied that we'll see come to pass in that kingdom age. Look at verse 9. Blessed be Yahweh thy God, which delighteth in thee, to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore he made thee king to do judgment and justice. So we look for a kingdom, of course, to be established in, in Israel, with Jerusalem to be the capital. We'll witness the nation of Israel becoming the first dominion of all the earth, and the earth being filled with judgment and justice. Verse 12, And the king made the almond trees pillars for the house of the Lord, for the king's house, harps also, psalteries for singers. There came no such almond trees, nor were seen in this day. Just as Solomon then had built the temple from the materials that David helped get gathered together before his death. The latter-day Solomon will see a temple that's erected for 
the nations to come and to worship the creator of heaven and earth. All the nations. In verse 13 we read, And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire, whatsoever she asked, besides that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty, she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. In the type here, what is, it, what is the desire and royal bounty that the Lord Jesus Christ will give to the mortals in the kingdom age? The word desire here can be translated as good pleasure. Good pleasure. And we find in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, For it is God which worketh you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God wants to give us good pleasure. And what we desire to do to those who would follow his commandments, at the beginning of the kingdom at least, even the moral population will be converted to righteousness. They will be walking in justice and equity and receive the beauties of the kingdom age. Verse 27, the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones, and cedars made he to be as sycamore trees that are in the veil or in the abundance. Silver, of course, symbolizes righteousness in the scriptures, doesn't it? We're all aware of that. What a wonderful place this earth will be if righteousness is so abundant in this kingdom, it will be as common as stone. Not what we experience today. Righteousness is far more rare than silver is today. That's for sure. We need only to look at the news each day around us and see all the things that are going on in our society. All the shootings, the killings, the fraud. Today, cyber fraud. This is so abundant. None of us can trust anything we see or anything we hear from the world around us. Because fellow men are so much putting out untruths and wrong, wrong messages. Things meant to deceive us. Things meant to bilk us. Things meant to steal from us. But not so in the kingdom age, brothers and sisters. Righteousness will be the prevailing atmosphere. And this is what we must keep in mind as we live our lives today. There are great and wonderful things in store for those that love God in the kingdom age. It's indeed something worth striving for, isn't it? It's worth striving for. The day when God and his son will sit in the rule, rulership of the nation, not the rulers of the courts of the land, the day when good guys will rule, godliness will be the norm in our society. What a beautiful hope we have, brothers and sisters. And where else can we turn in Scripture to get a glimpse of this kingdom age, about this magnificent kingdom that's about to come to this earth? Well, Isaiah chapter 65 gives us some hints of this time, doesn't it? Starting at verse 17. For behold, I create a new heaven, new earth. The former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever that which I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no more be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. 
There shall be no sense an infant of days, nor an old man which hath not filled his days for the, the child shall die a hundred years old. But the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit from them. They shall not build in another inhabitant. They shall not plant in another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass before they call, I will answer. And while they are speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Not taking a close, in-depth look at those verses, we get the idea of a quite marvelous place this kingdom is going to be like. The government of this earth will be completely replaced by a righteous, perfect, God-fearing government. This alone, when we think about it, would be enough to change our lives today in the society in which we live if nothing else were changed. But that. The political systems that rule our world today are so corrupt. And we, brothers and sisters, are living if, in one, if not the least, corrupt of the governments ever to exist on the earth. And yet, look at it. What a mess. Here's an excerpt from an article dealing of someone in the world about our society today, their opinion. Said, one question has haunted me while researching this essay. Are we living through a pivot or a decline? In other words, is our society just going through a change and going on? Or is our society really going down, down, down? During past moral convulsions, Americans rose to the challenge. They built new cultures and institutions, initiated new reforms, and a renewed nation went on to its next stage of greatness. I spent my career rebutting the idea that America is in decline. But the events of these last six years, especially of 2020, have made it clear that we live in a broken nation. The cancer of distrust has spread to every vital organ. Renewal is hard to imagine. Destruction is everywhere. And construction difficult to see. The problem goes beyond Donald Trump. The stench of national decline is in the air. Our political, social, and moral order is dissolving. America will only remain whole if she can build a new order in its place. End quote. You think America can build a new order? In its place, of course not. We know, brothers and sisters, that our society will not and cannot build a new order of any time, of any kind, in terms of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will not be able to do so on its own. So the question comes back to us, will we do so on our own, brothers and sisters? How strong and certain is our vision of the future? We're told here in Isaiah 65 that the voice 
of weeping shall no more be heard in her. Can there really be a time coming in the world so full of joy that there really will be no more sadness, no more weeping? Note the occurrences of the word joy here in the 65th chapter. Verse 13, my people shall rejoice. Verse 14, my servants shall ring for joy. Verse 18, rejoice forever in that which I create. Verse 18, her people a joy. Verse 19, I'll rejoice in Jerusalem. Verse 19, joy in my people. This is what we have to look forward to, brothers and sisters. A time of pure joy and rejoicing. Unlike what we, anything we can see in our society, we, we, we clamor for a few moments of happiness. And yet that'll be every day. It'll be the norm. Joy and rejoicing. And death itself, which has really uh, been brought home to us during this pandemic, the event that shows us how fragile life as we know it is, God can send a little pandemic to our society and turn everything upside down. Everything's turned upside down because of a little bug none of us can see. Especially the death rate among older people. Now because of the reluctance to vaccinate, we're told it's spreading to younger generations as well. But not so in the kingdom age. Someone dies at 100 years old, told it will be as if he were a child. What a difference. No more coyotes running around eating up little neighborhood animals. We have an epidemic in our valley. What's that right now? The animals will definitely benefit from this time, won't they? It is, we read in verse 25, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the bullock. They will be tamed. Their food will evidently consist of other things than other animals, as it is for most of them today. The law of Moses taught an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It taught that if you did something to someone else, then you deserve to have it happen back to you. And even the law of Christ did away with that concept, was placed by an eye, replaced the eye for an eye perspective by turn the other cheek and forgiveness. That's the heart of Christianity. Society has not bought that perspective at all, has it? But it will in the kingdom age, brothers and sisters. With Christ as the king, things will be done his way throughout the earth. Just imagine living in a society that is fair, and just, and righteousness. Even if we were all still mortal, how great that would be if everything was fair, and just, and righteous. Everyone was kind, thoughtful, generous, forgiving. It would be as though the glory of the Lord filled the earth today, wouldn't it? That could be happening. And just listing those glories that are found in Exodus 34 about the glory of the Lord, mercy, graciousness, long-suffering, abundant goodness, 
truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. And this is what it will be like as the glory of the Lord fills the earth. This is what's in store for us, brothers and sisters. This is the vision that we need to keep in front of us at all times. This vision of that beautiful kingdom that's going to come. Brother Roberts wrote a booklet entitled The Final Consolation, and this booklet gives his vision of the kingdom. And we'd like to kind of paraphrase a little bit uh, of, of his remarks from that booklet this morning. He says, come to the land of promise in the day of glory, not as we are now, but clothed with immortality, which is not easily fatigued, not burdened with the infirmities, of, not with eyes soon dimmed, or power soon spent. Come when you can step joyously and lightly upon the earth in the freedom of spirit nature and behold the unfolded love and wisdom and glory of God. And every thought is one of joy, every movement one of pleasure, every breath an expression of praise to him that sits on the throne. Come to the city that has been prepared, whose foundation maker and builder is God. God hath filled his people and made her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. The hills of Judea are clad in vegetation. Her valleys are filled with vineyards, fruits, flowers, corn, and wine. The air is clear and clean and filled with pleasant odors. Nearby are pleasant homesteads, standing on each of their own plot, neatly trimmed and well kept. We come to Jerusalem and view the temple, situated on top of a hill, off in a distance. The exact city plan is a square of perfect proportions and laid out to accommodate the precise requirements for sacrifice and worship. When we approach the city, we only see the huge south wall, which stretches as far as we can see. Upon entering one of the city gates, we see a city laid out in perfect symmetry. The streets are straight and wide and shaded with trees. We notice that there are many people inside who have come to the city to pay homage to the king. There's an immense number of people there, but the city is so large that it does not appear crowded. But their demeanor is different than we've ever seen in a large city before. They're all so quiet, so peaceful, so cheerful, so orderly, so respectful. These are a few of the happy subjects of the kingdom of God. We then see a magnificent highway, which runs toward the temple some 30 miles away. The highway is bordered by trees and grass, large estates that are occupied by the Levites, who serve the temple. The country becomes more magnificent as we travel along, with avenues shooting off and returning to the main road again, running through woodsy areas of solitude and beauty. No darkness is there, no walls, no fences. No one is at liberty to pick up, everyone is at liberty to pick a piece of fruit from the trees that line the way along the streams of water. Then we hear the sound of music playing off in the distance, being sung by a dozen people. And they are singing songs of praise to our Heavenly Father. We draw closer to them and learn that they are those that have been in the grave for hundreds of years. We ask who they are. And one says, well, you can guess who I am, can't you? I'm the one who wrote 
hundreds of songs. King David, how wonderful. Can we sing a few psalms together? So we join in with the chorus led by David. What a blending of liquid melodies. What a delight this is. As we are about to depart and continue on our journey, David asks where we're headed. We have no particular destination, so he suggests we spend the night at Abraham's palace. It is some 20 miles off, yet as we use our angelic mode of transportation, by a simple fact of will, we're immediately at the palace of Abraham. And when we arrive there, we meet Jonathan, Asaph, Nathan, Uriah, Bathsheba, and many others of David's friends when he was in the flesh. Then we are led to a large dinner table where a great meal is invited for us, not to sustain our immortal bodies, but to enjoy the pleasure of the feast and the company of saints around us, including Moses, Joshua, Paul, and many others. Then all of a sudden the room is lit up with brightness as the sun of righteousness appears in all his glory. Not a glaring light, but a subdued light, full of warmth, joy. He lifted his eyes and looked all around and said, It is written that in the midst of my brethren will I sing praise. Now praise our God, all ye his servants. The whole assembly then joined together and sang, Thou art worthy, for thou wast slain, hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom and strength and honor, glory and blessing. Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sit upon the throne and by the Lamb forever and ever. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. As the end of Brother Roberts' remarks. So just how important is it for us to have a vision of the future? Is it really that important, brothers and sisters? Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. <coughs> Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, set down the right hand of the throne of God. We're able to see that the joy that was set before the Lord Jesus Christ, the vision that he had of that coming kingdom, is what drove him to be who he was. The joy set before him. And look what he went through, brothers and sisters. The suffering, the embarrassment, the shame, the torturing. And because of the joy of the kingdom, he was able to endure that. If he could endure that, how much more can we endure the things that we're put through in our life if we have that joy set before us? It's the beauty of the kingdom that Brother Roberts has just given us a glimpse of here in his book. It allowed him not only to die for us, but to suffer for us. Just imagine how our master knew years in advance what was going to happen. So this, and this happened to all of us all of a sudden. Oh, there we are, crucifying me, putting me on. He knew about this years in advance. 
He knew what he was going to go through. How many of us could do that, brothers and sisters? How many of us could keep the joy of the kingdom so strong that those things didn't affect our perspectives and our responsibility to his heavenly father? Imagine this going over and over in his mind through the years. What he did for us is unbelievable. If this kind of vision could allow him to do what he suffered, to deal with what he dealt with, how much more should it help us? The kingdom that the Lord Jesus Christ has promised us is a perfect kingdom with a perfect king, with a perfect set of laws, with a perfect government, and filled with perfect people. This is the joy we have before us. In comparison to what we have around us today, a system of unrighteous rulers, unrighteous subjects, unrighteous laws, how can we not seek first the kingdom of God? There's no comparison, is there? Well, we now come to remember him who was able to give his very life for us as he focused on that joy of the kingdom and was able to overcome all things. Let us give our deepest thanksgiving to the one that did this, brothers and sisters. Follow his example, keeping the joy of the kingdom for our eyes. Always keeping in mind the proverb we opened with this morning, where there's no vision, the people perish. Thank you for listening to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. We hope this talk helped you in your walk. If you would like to hear more, please subscribe for new episodes and leave a review in Apple Podcast or whichever service you are using to help more people find the show when they search for it. If you enjoyed this particular talk, please share it with someone who you think might enjoy it as well. For show notes on the talk you just listened to, visit our show page at anchor.fm GCT or check the show notes section of your podcast player. Please share your thoughts on the talk from this week on our Facebook or Instagram pages, where we are at Good Christadelphian Talks, on Twitter, where we are at GCT underscore podcast, or leave a comment on our YouTube channel where these talks are posted as well. If you know of a great talk, we want to know about it too. Send a suggestion to our email at goodchristadelphiantalks at gmail.com or message us on any of our social media accounts. Thank you for listening. God bless and talk to you next week.